The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know, there's a gift and a curse that comes along with your favorite team being good. Ticket prices go through the roof. Travel for away games seems impossible. And then where the heck are all the fans when you finally get to town? Well, Bills fans don't have to worry about that anymore. There's no better way to follow your Buffalo Bills on the road than with fans of Buffalo. Our packages make for hassle-free travel, all while getting access to exclusive events. From travel accommodations, Bills backers parties, catered tailgates, and game tickets, we take care of it all. Check us out at fansofbuffalo.com and book your next away game with the Welcome back and hello. I am the big O Jerry Ostrowski down here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. As I like to say, she is my sister from another mister. She is Sarah Larson down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We make up the duo that is lined again here on Buffalo Rumblings, uh, your preferred vidcast network. And uh, I was going a little ham tonight. I was going a little WWE. I had a little, little, uh, little energy in me, but as always, we're back Wednesday nights, 9 Eastern, 8 Central. If you're on Facebook, if you're watching on X, jump on over to YouTube, get in the comments like Richard and Josh and Matt, Joe Ab and everybody else who joined us. Uh, get in on the comments, and um, you can uh, be interactive with the show tonight. And uh, we are celebrating a big victory last week in Kansas City. Bills win 20-17. to 17. Lots to talk about with that game, of course. Lots of controversy towards the end of the game. Yeah. But uh, as always, we like to start our show not only with Sarah's fit, which if you follow her on X, you get a, <laughs> a shot of her fit every week, but also her game day fit. We like to talk about Sarah's experience in the town that she's in because, as you know, she's in the midst of, is it 56 or 57 50, right now? 56 so far. 56 games in a row, as always, and uh, I'm sure she was Saturday night at Taps on Main I uh, was, in I Kansas was. City. So, Sarah, the, the floor is yours. How was your experience in Kansas City? Well, at this point, I should just uh, get an apartment, I think, in Kansas City because I've been there so many times. No it's doubt. Like, 
it's my uh, eighth time in the last um, the last five five years or so. The first time I went for a Yankees game, but um, yeah, so it's it's been a lot. So uh, obviously, I feel like I I you know I'm a local when I get there. I've you know already know what I'm gonna do and who I'm gonna go see. Um, there's two places that everybody pretty much knows if you've been to Kansas City. There's Taps on Main, which is a downtown area, and then kind of far out and uh you know kind of the the outskirts of kansas city they have um ales um bar and grill which is the official um bill's backers bar they have great wings great mini tacos so if anyone ever goes out there get the mini tacos i'm telling you so good but i have to ask did old man allen make an appearance singing neil diamond once again not on saturday night so um yeah on sunday night after the game uh josh's dad did show up to the bar um and you know, we all joked with him that he, you know, he needed a to get a couple drinks in him so we can get him to start singing. Uh, because last year he did serenade us all um a couple of times over. So um but a little, yeah, a little sweet Caroline last year. I was there yeah. for that one. I actually think I have video of it on my phone. Yeah, I I have video too. So uh, but yeah, I mean he's always great. Um he says he remember remembers me from New Orleans. I don't believe him, but <laughs> he says he remembers me, but um, yeah, a couple of really cool memories, uh, him, you know, he photobombed me and my friend a couple of times and, you know, kept on coming up. And then he talked to me about my game streak because my friend John, um, you know, kind of reintroduced us and, you know, told him about my game streak and he was like 56 and he was like, well, I'm going to have to see you this weekend for 57. And so a uh, really cool guy. I, he just wants to be literally one of the fans. Um, right. And, you know, several of the people that didn't know that it was Josh's dad was like, wait, that's Josh's. Like, and then they freak right. out. They're like, he's just literally drinking and hanging out with the, the, the crowd. I'm like, that's how he's been over the years. So, but yeah, f- uh, fun time. You know, I, I tweeted out. It's always nice for a victory. I don't got to go pout in my room. Um, and that's, you know, we all ended up, you know, back at the the taps bar. So that we, you know, then they actually said, the bartender said, if, if you know, the bills lost. They would have had probably five people in that bar, but because the Bills won, it was packed. You know, I hate to, I hate to, to give him credit because I did gas him up a little bit after the game, and I mean, KC Chiefs fans, but it is a good experience to go watch a game in Kansas City. You get comments, but honestly, it's pretty, it's pretty tame compared to well, like Philly or Boston so or somewhere else. Last week was, you know, was Philly, so the. The comparison yes. is, is just so different. Um, it was like you. It was like you watched the game in a monastery, probably compared yeah. to where you were. <laughs> compared to Philly, <laughs> um, I just always say, you know, in Kansas City, I will never sit in the three hundred level ever again. Um, and I'll sit. I'll stand by that comment. Um, it's a tough it's, place to sit. I've been yeah, there. It's but uh, you know, even from just walking through the the um, parking lot to go to the tailgate. You know, everyone's like, how's everyone treating you? You doing good? Well, you know, uh, hope y'all have a great day. <laughs> like, it's just like, whoa. <laughs> right. Like, no, don't. It's too much. It was a little, it was, it was funny, you know? So, um, but then you have a couple of comments. Now, when they lose, they're a little bickery, um, right. you know, but they're so used to winning that I think that they're all just like, hi, welcome to our house. You're going to walk out a loser, you know, <laughs> like. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, g- great experience. The people I sat by, again, no Bills fans. I was on the Bills sideline, but still just surrounded by Kansas City fans. 
but had an absolute blast. It helps when you go up 14 to zero. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a, a, a good experience. But uh, Bills, once again, win 20 to 17. Some quick stats. Josh Allen, 23 of 42, 233. He had uh, one pick. He was sacked three times. We'll talk about the offensive line a little bit later, especially in uh, their performance in the second half. He did have 32 yards rushing on 10 carries, uh, one rushing touchdown. Um, You know, uh, did what he had to do. Uh, If we could take the interception away, that would be great. But still... Um, very Josh-like, and and we'll get into it, I'm sure, at some point, but I want to finish the stats, but the sideline pass was one of the greatest plays I've ever seen in football. But um, rushing, uh, Cook, 10 carries, 58 yards. Uh, Josh, again, had 32. Johnson, five carries, 19 yards. And uh, Murray had three for nine. Receiving, Cook led the way, uh, multi-purpose yards. He's killing it, had five catches for 83 yards, had the touchdown on the tailback. Uh, seam route. Also, we completed the tailback wheel this week. wasn't for a touchdown, but it was a big play. Dawson Knox in his return, three catches, 36 yards. Hardy had a catch for 25. Diggs only had 24 yards on four catches. Kincaid, five catches, 21 yards, but did have a couple of huge catches. The ad-lib sidearm or almost Ken Tocolvi-like um, sidewinder throw from Josh for the first down. Another good play by him. So, um, Bill's offense, when you look at the offense, Sarah, when you're in the game, you know, one thing about being at home, you watch them, and it was like they were controlling not only the clock, they were controlling the tempo of the game. They were controlling the game just by play calling, running the football, screens, you know, throws to the throws to the tailbacks, those types of things. And did the you you could sense that the energy of the crowd, and you have to understand, if you've never been to Arrowhead, it is literally one of the loudest places you'll ever be in when that place is full of Chiefs fans. It is extremely loud. They had the crowd sitting down, and they had control of the game, and then the interception happens. And on television, you could tell, you know, momentum went to the other sideline. Could you feel it in the stadium as well? Um, To be honest with you, like – it's it's that moment that you're like, oh, dear Lord. Oh, here we go. But at the same time, I was like, I want to see how we were how we respond to it, because the you know, the defense had been playing very well um, since kind of the first drive. I guess, you know, we had that pick on the first drive, but they were moving the ball down right. the field before Epinesa had made that pick. So. You know, I actually was texting him like, did Josh not see the defender? Like, why throw that ball? I don't get it. And I rewatched it today. So I could tell he was completely blinded. Like um, where he was when he threw the ball, he thought that he was going to have a clear path. He did not see the defender. So um, I, you know, I gave him a little bit of a pass on that one. Um, But it was, you know, them scoring. And I'm like, okay, well we get the ball back now. Can we do something? But we also get the ball back at the beginning of the, you know, um, the second half. I was like, so we can still expand that, you know, that gap, but it's, you know, it's visions of Philadelphia. It's visions of, you know, these games where we, we get this lead and then, you know, slowly they just start chipping away at it because of a stupid mistake. And, you know, so yeah, um, the, the fans, you know, had their moments, even when they tied it 17, you know, 17, 17, where it was um, loud, but they still seemed a little defeated. 
I don't right. maybe like because Well, here's what I was going to bring that up and here's what I think that is, Sarah. It's like watching it's like, you know, I'm a Phillies fan. You're out you're a Yankees fan obviously and you've had these moments probably as well. But when you watch the Phillies and you watch them at playoffs again this year, last year of course they went to the World Series this year they fell a series short, but when you watch that team and that top part of the order comes up, you know, Harper, Castellano, um, Schwarber leading off. It's like at any point the fans are on the edge of their seat because those cats can go yard, right? And I think in Kansas City, when they had Tyreek and they had some of the other pieces they had on their on their Super Bowl teams, they had that feeling. They could go touch goalpost at any time because they had big play dudes. With the receiving core struggling the way they've been struggling, obviously Mahomes is frustrated. Andy Reid is frustrated because they are playing very well defensively, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But there there seems to be that – the fans are the way they are because there seems to be that bit of doubt, right? They're just – they just can't get over the hump. They just can't make that big play. And, it, and that seems to be the thing with them right now. It's that there's not that, you know – you know how it is when your team is rolling and you got that that right. confidence that you gave us 120 left on the clock we're going to go score right. they don't have that right now and it's it's foreign that's foreign to them having that feeling of doubt in the back of their mind because yeah. they've been so prolific prolific excuse me on offense the last so many years right and i was going to kind of compare it to how the bills have been this year where at home you right. know the bucks game the giants game yeah, we were winning at you know at at times throughout the games, but it just didn't feel like it was close. It didn't feel right. like we were winning or that it was tied or anything like that. So I think that you know as many times I've been at Arrowhead and as loud as I've seen Arrowhead get, um, it didn't quite feel. It wasn't that same feeling, um, you know. So I, and I I kind of and maybe it's a little you know it's a little silly of me, but. Since we've won the last two in, right. in Kansas City in the um, regular season, I kind of felt like, okay, so, you know, Josh is confident here. For some reason, he's going to, you know, go back out and he's going to, you know, do what he needs to do and, um, and you know, get us back into this and and take that that feeling away. Um, and we did. We went downfield and, you know, I – I still feel like if it wasn't for a couple penalties, we could have ended that uh, that drive instead of three points. We could have gotten a touchdown, but penalties did kill us a lot throughout um, the game. They, right. We didn't have a lot of penalties. It was when they happened. They were kind of that drive, you know, killer. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, like there was times where I felt like the air was just kind of sucked out of, uh, out of Arrowhead. Um, there was not a lot of Bills fans there compared really? to what we're used to. Huh. Um there has been times where I would think maybe a third of the stadium of, you know, at least a third of the stadium we can pack with Bills fans. That was not like that this, um, this year. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of reasons why obviously our record, um, and it is an, a, a more expensive ticket, um, to, to get into the game. So, uh, those are, you know, several reasons why, but, um, I expected when I, when I walked in and I was like, wow, you don't see any blue. I'm like, right. this is great. I'm like, this is going to be terrible when they start that tomahawk chop and all that other crap. And uh, it never really, it never really felt that way um, as much as it has in the past. Uh, again, if you're watching on Facebook, you're watching on the X app, jump on over to YouTube, get in the comments. Our friend of the show, my man, my main man, John Fina, 
uh, he's in uh, the comments section as well as Daryl. Um, Tyrone is in here as well. And um, we've got, you know, we've got a lot of people joining us. As always, hit the like button, subscribe button, help us out uh, like you do every week here online the game. Defensively, uh, Johnson led the way. Um, he had uh, he had nine tackles. Dotson comes in with eight. Uh, Benford with five. Um, didn't really have – I think we had one sack maybe. Um, you know, of course, Epinesa with the uh, tip and the, and the interception, then he goes out with the rib injury. The thing that the defense did really, really well, I thought, and it's, it's that front defensive line again, and they, they continue week after week with injuries, still show up and play. They did a really good job, and I think that's why the sack numbers were down. They were more concerned about Mahomes leaving the pocket mm -hmm. than they were trying yeah. to get to Continue. Mahomes. And they ran a lot of stunts inside. They ran a lot of TEs, you know, like Groot would be outside. He'd come inside and Ed would loop outside. They did a really good job. Mahomes only had, and I can't remember the last time this happened, Mahomes, I believe, had one scramble for a first down in that game on Sunday. And um, I thought the defense did a great job. Um, they made plays when they needed to. Again, injuries show their ugly head. We talked about Epinesa with the rib injury. Um, Micah Hyde goes out with a with a stinger. Um, we all know what he's dealing with with the yeah. next stuff, so I'm sure it's related to that. But um, the defense continues to find a way. And um, you know, there was one section of the game that I was I was concerned with, and we'll talk about that in a bit when we talk about the second half. But defensively, again, they stepped up. They made plays. McDermott did a good job of mixing in the blitz getting pressure on Mahomes that way. Um, again, another workmanlike effort by our defense that is extremely undermanned because of injury, but yet they find a way to be successful. Yeah, um, so a couple of the the comments, um, you know, they were, uh, a lot of people are saying on television if it either felt like it was really loud or that they saw a lot of Bills fans. Um, I can assure you, compared to years past, um, it was definitely not the same um, as the last, you know, since 2020, that um, that uh, playoff game that uh, we played there, I guess, 2021, technically. Um, so, yeah, it is definitely was not that many Bills fans um, in comparison. Um, and again, there's there's certain stadiums that are the way that they're constructed. And I feel like Arrowhead's one Arrowhead is very tall um yeah, very uh, if yeah very vertical um if you look um if most people i'm sure probably follow sal capaccio he actually posted where the media sits um they're they're inside he he goes he's on the sideline but he go he went into the the media booth and took a picture and posted it and i was like that makes me want to puke it is so high well i don't know if you sky. saw the post if you saw the post by eric wood about where their broadcast booth was they were like in Salina, Kansas. They don't even know if they were in Kansas City. That's yeah. how far away from the field they were, you know. Yes. But so, yeah, were you, again, were you, did you sit in the upper deck then? Um, no, no, no. I was okay. lower. I, I won't because, sit up in the three hundred level. Yeah, ever when again. you sit in the three hundred in, in in Arrowhead, it's like you're so vertical that you're literally yeah. sitting on top of the guy's head that's yeah. in front. Of and you. I was, I when I did sit three hundred level, I was the I was row one three hundred level, but it was still like nauseating um but at the same time my, my point is is that i feel like when people scream and and yell and stuff 
a lot of that is going like literally it's it's kept inside where right. you know uh Highmark is very you know wide you know you know kind of horizontal it's it's right. like what more widespread um so yeah i feel like that it it sounds louder um but i will i will say that the person next to me was like this just doesn't feel like a normal home game um so you know even chiefs fans next to me were saying it so um I guess it is, you know, it is what it is. But um, the other thing is, uh, I believe it was Daryl had put, it looked like um, defensive pass interference. I had put it up on the the screen right behind where the interception happened um, at the end of the, the half. And I agree. Um, but I think that it kind of happened a second after the interception. So I don't think it, it matters anyways. Um, but I, you know, I had texted the same thing uh, today when I was rewatching the game. I was like, well, you know, there was a, dpi behind there or at least holding um behind that uh interception but josh just didn't see the defender um one of the things i want to get into is and john and i i got a chance this week to to co-host the off tackle show with john fina um joe wasn't able to make it and it was a cool show to be a part of because we had we had greg cosell on of nfl films Senior producers been there since 1979. Yeah, kind of give you a little sure bit. To of, check it out, guys. Go yeah, back and watch it. Just give you a little bit of background on on Greg. He told us, uh, told John and I that he watched 72 hours of film a week. Um, and just I was talking to my brother in law about it because he he watched the he watched the YouTube uh, playback and he's like, man, he goes, could you imagine if they got him and they published his notes if they're able because he said he takes copious amounts of notes yeah. and if you could take those notes and and publish them into like three or four different volumes just would be amazing. But the thing he said about Josh that I thought was interesting is we were talking about him as a quarterback. And, you know, I heard Cowherd say it the other day. Uh, Greg basically said it himself. You know, Cowherd made the comment, Josh is the best athlete, might be the best athlete in the league, let alone he's the best quarterback athlete in the league. Greg made the same comments, and then Greg went on to say something that I thought was pretty, pretty on point and pretty, uh, I don't want to say sobering, but kind of what I think Josh is in a nutshell. And he used this term. He said, Josh is not a precision quarterback. And what he meant by that was he's not going to sit back there and just, you know, throw the dump all the time, hit this guy, go through three, four different reads. It's not what he does. And, you know, heard this week, when you think about it, he's Josh Allen is responsible for 78% of the Bills offensive reduction, 78%. Yep. So just understand this, folks. When you, when you piss and moan about the interception that he threw, which if you watch most of Josh, Josh's interceptions, it's when he's on the move. Um, so you start losing field of vision and things like that. But when you think about this and, you know, oh, we want to wrangle him in, want to do this, want to do that, his numbers are at the top of the league. He's responsible for 78% of the offense. And I, I'm just telling you, if he's not the quarterback on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, we don't win that game. We probably get beat by two to three scores. And I'm starting to – as much as I don't want him to throw those interceptions, I'm starting to come to grips with this is just who he is. Right. And we have to play a game and not worry about the term complimentary 
and play a game that says, you know what? We're probably going to have this happen. He's had it happen five games in a row now. Yeah. It's going to happen at least once. We got to get through it and just continue to allow him to do what he does. And um, it's funny because for so long, and we talk about the national media and the narrative, for so long, Sarah, it's been he's a turnover machine. He hurts the team. And now all of a sudden these same guys are saying he's responsible for 78% of the offense. Yeah. He's the best and, athlete in the league. You know, it's like, yeah, he number one has the most yards, total yards in the NFL right now, um, passing and uh, rushing. So total yards. He has the most total touchdowns. I want to say it's 35, um, which leads, I think, um, at like six or seven more, which I think the next person down is hurts. Um, it is crazy to me that. And I'm I'm going to pick on Tua for a second. Tua has um, thrown ten interceptions. Right. He has fumbled the ball twelve times. Now he's only lost five of those, so he's been lucky to get the ball back seven times or have one of his teammates get the ball back. So, but that still is a loss of yardage. That is still a loss of down. People aren't taking that in consideration and he has only yes he has 3600 yards um you know passing which is a little bit more than josh beyond 55 yards you know rushing and no rushing touchdowns so josh leads him over you know by 11 touchdowns right and no one is questioning tua is an mvp mvp candidate right now right and you know no one He's literally fumbled the ball 12 times. It's just, yes, they've only, you know, they've only lost the possession five out of those, but it still impacts the game. But no one wants to talk about that. How come he's an MVP candidate and Josh, who leads statistically in so many areas, is not? And it's just frustrating. The league MVP right now is the guy we're playing this weekend. And a lot of the reason why Dak is probably the leader for the MVP other than their record is he's actually loosened up his style of play a little bit and he's on the move and doing some things with his feet that he hasn't done the last so many years or definitely after his ankle injury and it's playing, playing a high level football. But the reason I brought that up about Josh and the way he plays, John and I had a conversation about the offensive line and, and I know the offensive line had a lot of kind of, um, criticism for the second half the way they played Josh was sacked three times he was under pressure and you know before I get into the particulars of the line and what we discussed on on uh, Monday one of the things that you have to understand is the same people that are going to say okay and like I just made the comment you're going to have to live with these interceptions okay you're going to have to do it because that's what he does that's who he is You're also going to have to understand that he's probably going to get, even though his elusiveness gets him out of sacks, a lot of his pressure is self-induced. A lot of Josh's pressure is because he doesn't like to sit in the pocket and pat the ball. If you ever notice him, it's a couple seconds and then he's hauling tail. And when when you got a tackle that's running a guy nine yards and now your quarterback's trying to loop outside or cut underneath a bit and you're running into the pressure or where the guy's going – you're going to have to get some of that. So there was there was some sacks on there were some sacks and some pressures on Sunday, especially in the second half that were on Josh. But again, and and I guess you know 
you know, I, I, I don't know if there's a part four coming, uh, McDermott's management of the quarterback by, by Dune or not. I, if it is, I probably won't read that either. But the fact is that you're going to have to live with some of that with him. And some of that second half stuff was his, but they also had other issues as well that we'll get into in a second. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the one, you know, biggest thing that I do want to give, you know, a little bit of credit for the the line. I think I feel like in the, the first half, they played a lot better than they did in the second half. Um, but the what is going on with with James Cook right now? I think it, not a lot of people, oh, not yeah. enough people are are talking about um, <clears throat> right now. He has eleven hundred and eighty all purpose yards. Um it's you know that's that's crazy to me with with still um right. you know all these games left and everything he is only 211 yards away and i hope i am not jinxing him the new york person in me is knocking on wood right now <laughs> um you know he he can 100% get a thousand yards rushing and i feel like it's been you know since what mccoy that we right. had a, a thousand yard rusher if if Joe Brady does not do what he did at the end of the third quarter and start of the fourth quarter, which is there was a span that John went through and watched the second half of the game. And I did as well. I watched the whole game over, but there was a span there. It was like 10 straight plays. We did not run the football, which to me is the point I was getting ready to make. I felt we, we went away from the run way too soon in the second half. I don't think there was any reason to, um, you know, we were mixing the screen game in early. We ran about three different, very three different screens. The screens I think, were working too. Yeah, like, and then they started really blowing them up. And then in the second half, Sarah, I don't know. It felt like they were forcing the ball. He was trying to get Diggs the ball, and he was forcing the screens to him, or whatever. But seriously, they've 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 got into the, the screens it, to cook were yes, working. Yes, nothing was working to Diggs. Nothing. That, was is, that is what we that is what we brought up <laughs> as well. Is that I I and I think John's like my I am I I enjoy the tailback screen game, and I think it's a part of the game that has gone away because we try to run so many of these damn wide receiver screens, and I think we need to run more screens with Cook. I think he runs them well. He's got a great feel for it. Um, the guy's a good target. He's 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 a long tailback. He got good hands. So obviously, run. You muted yourself. There we go. <laughs> So he ran the halfback screen for a seam for a touch, the wheel for a a big game. He's obviously got great hands. I want to get him more involved in the screen. You know, we've got some runs going on right now, and I'm expecting to see some play action off of it. Um, In the football world, they call it dart. Um, I can't remember the term that John used for it, but basically um, dart is that play they're running where Deion Dawkins is the only one that pulls. And it's almost kind of like they're running – so if Deion Dawkins pulls to the right, the way the double teams are set up on the inside, it's almost like the team is running an inside zone to the left. And Dawkins then is taking the place of, if you remember, they they call it, um, they call it, some people call it cross zone or whatever. It's where the t- you'll see the tight end or the H, he's off the ball and he comes back across the formation and blocks the end. It's kind of a version of that. And Cook has such a good feel of it that he hops back behind the backside guard a lot. He does that. He does that in inside zone too, but he'll hop back beside behind the uh, backside guard and and rips off some big runs. I thought they did a couple different things. I'm a sucker for a good pitch. We ran pitch out a bunch close, had a big play out of that. So, 
some different variations of the running game are getting going. I like what Brady's doing there. I did not yeah. like the fact that he went away from it at the end of the third and, yeah. and the early fourth. I love, I, that hurt us. I, I was going to say, I love the fact that they went back to the the wheel route, the uh, play with Cook that they did not get in right. uh, Philadelphia. I'm very happy that they went back to it and it was completed and, uh, you know, for a nice large gain. Um did you want to talk any more about the O line or? Yeah, one. Uh, I want to do one more deal, and then okay. we'll go. And then we'll we got to go into Ficta. But John said it's a zone revert, is what he calls it. But Daryl also brings up a good point. He talks about the backs had a bad game in um, pass protection. We did have one missed assignment by Murray. Um, he fit wrong on the blitz. They were able to get pressure inside. I believe it was A or B gap, where he didn't get over there in time. But a lot of our pressure situations this this week. Um, just to kind of wrap it up, it was miscommunication stuff. If you, when you watch the game, if you watch the stuff and you kind of see what you know, what you're looking at, Torrance had two missed assignments. He slid the wrong way, went away from the slide, left guys uh, inside free to rush. There was a couple times where I think our communication of our protection was off. We actually took three guys and slid the two and they had three backside, almost four with a blitz for two guys. So that was an issue. I think Spagnola, their D coordinator, did a really good job of scheming us up of what we'd like to do pass protection-wise. They caused some pressures with what he did in alignments. Um, they moved Chris Jones across the formation. He rushed over McGovern. He rushed over Torrance. He rushed over Spencer Brown. Um, and I think he was inside a little bit with Morris. So they did a really good job by, you know, probably looking at analytics, where we are on the field, what we'd like to do protection-wise got Jones in some good spots, but um, yeah, I think our biggest issue this week wasn't as much as, um, as the great Carl mock used to say Ford over rooster. I think even though Chris, <laughs> Ford over rooster, it's if you, it's, I'll explain it to you later, but um, you're going to have to, <laughs> but, but you know, there's one time Jones did run over, rush over McGovern and, and beat him. But most of the time it seemed to me to be communication issues and just confusion up front, maybe either, maybe even with Josh, because I know he does have some freedom to change protections uh, the way he wants to do it. So uh, I'll tell you what, we good show rolling on again. If you're on X, you're on Facebook, hop over to uh, YouTube, get in the comments like everybody does, uh, hit the like, subscribe button. But we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our friends that support the show. And um, let's hear from uh, Ficta and Elmer. And Elmer. <laughs> it's time to say goodbye to the blur and hello to clear vision. Ficta, Endel, and Elmer are the first in Western New York to bring you Zeiss Smile technology. Along with our highly experienced surgeons, we promise an effortless journey to better vision. Gone are the days of fumbling for glasses or struggling with contact lenses. Embrace the freedom of superb sight because we believe you deserve the world in HD. Visit us online at ficta.com and schedule a consultation. Ficta, Endel, and Elmer. We are focused on you. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back. Second half of the show. Anything you want to uh, talk about to wrap up this Kansas City victory? No, I just I uh, I want to uh, talk a- about um, the kind of the drama that's been surrounding the Bills a little bit before we head into next week. Okay. We'll so go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we talked about it last week. Um, Tyler uh, Dunn's uh, articles that you know kind of raised a little bit of holy hell throughout the the organization and the league. And yes, sure they talked down, about it. Didn't they? Yeah, they talked about it a lot on the on the the game. Um, now that I was able to rewatch it, I got to hear what the the commentators had stated. Um, some of the sideline reporters said that they had talked to um, Josh Allen. They had talked to um, you know a couple of the current players, and you know the uh, Micah Hyde. Um, and some of the com- comments that came from them was. Um, you know, that they were, you know, sticking with, um, you know, with McDermott and he was, you know, their coach and yes, it's, it's a lot of the fluff that you expect to, to happen. Um, but I will say the one thing that I, I was very, I think I was very, uh, filtered last week. I, I watched what I said because, um, I do know, um, you know, Tyler a little bit. Um, I know, you know, family of his and stuff as well. So I didn't want to get too, um, too into it, but today for those who don't know, um, you know, or maybe it was yet, you know, yesterday afternoon, last night, um, he came out with a follow-up piece and, um, the follow-up piece is like doubling down on again, you know, on everything again. And, um, to me, it, it kind of made, for me, it kind of made the first three pieces sound even more salty than I originally had felt like they were. Um, you know, he doubled down on everything again, and he he pointed out a few comments um, about, you know, everyone saying that this was a hit piece. But what about the five people who made, um, you know, good comments? I'm like, yeah. So this is personally what I wanted to say. What gets me a little frustrated with the the whole thing is those five people that he names, you know, um, McKenzie and, um, and, you know, and a few other people, uh, those are people that, that stated their names. They're not anonymous. So it makes it look like the five people that, you know, had good things to say are, are, are the people that he's, you know, he's putting out there. But what about the 25 or was it only 20? Because he said he had 25 sources. So what, was it what about all those people that are remaining, you know, remaining anonymous? We don't know if it's someone from um, a, a previous, you know, position coach that was fired or a, a player that never got playing time or, you know, a, a couple of people mentioned that he might have cherry picked his, you know, his 20 people or 25 people. And that's the the part that's um, bothering me. But I think what bothered me the most with this, with today's um, article is 
he is like not enough people read the the previous one not enough people um you know uh mentioned the fact that yeah i stated about the 911 stuff but i also said that he apologized well you said he apologized an hour later uh, behind the paywall so everyone's taking the screenshots and showing that he did this right. and posting it on twitter but the the resolution that came after that wasn't made public unless you paid for the you know um his actions right and his he, com yeah his comment and, was his comment was you didn't read the whole article yeah and he said that several times which makes it sound like he's really trying to push people to pay the subscription fee right. in order to read it all again and that you know oh you missed you know the the only thing that people are talking about is the 911 thing but you missed all the other stuff you missed the other you know 16,000 or you know i think he's a 19,000 words well again that's what happens when you put it behind a paywall and the part that you didn't is clip clickbait in a way yes right. Sean said that he said it he said he apologized and everything i think at this point in time i just wanted to put my opinion out there because Again, I am not trying to discredit anybody, he, you know, whether or not he went ahead and got 20 people or 25 people to say what he said, but he didn't need to do another article on top of it. And this time, and what I was get, alluding to, he, he literally calls out Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, Eric Wood. Oh, yeah, he people, doubles down. He, people that were literally doing their job because they didn't agree with him. And um, that's the part that um, that bothers me the most. And he kind of, to me, not only sounds a little, a lot salty, but he also makes it sound like he's kind of talking down to the readers who didn't read the whole thing. Right. Um, and uh, it it just really bothered me today reading that. And to the point where I actually went back and read the initial article over again. Um, and I was like, wow, I actually feel... I, I'm not as filtered as I was the first time. I'm actually more frustrated. Um, he also made a comment last Thursday night um, when he had his show. Um, he did a Zoom call that he finished the article um, and was waiting for the right time to to release it. And he felt like after another meltdown loss against the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm going to release it. Well, now in this article, he writes that, well, I released it because I finished it. Well, that's not kind of what you said last week. Right. Um, well, you know, with all that being said, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to put a hit out on him and everything. Like He's he's doing his job and everything. I actually wish that we had more long form um, people reporting, but it doesn't always have to be the negative. Um, right. And I feel like, you know, you do it at this point in time in the season to because he's he's doing his job in a, in a way he owns I, I think he owns uh go long which is his website um he wants the subscribers he wants the clicks but i feel like at this point in time um to to criticize to criticize people for not subscribing is is what you know pissed me off the most and Amen. then you know to double down i know i'm reading daryl's uh comments Amen. but to to double down on um on you know, Steve Tasker and, um, and Chris Brown and Eric Wood and Eric Wood is great. And is always remains to me, he always remains pretty level-headed. Um, he's actually been on the show with him a couple of times and stuff. So it kind of, um, he's really burning bridges in my opinion. 
I think if this article comes out, so say the Bills finish the season, they don't make the playoffs, everybody wants to know what happened. If this article comes out at the end of the season, after the season's over, I don't think I have maybe as much of an issue with it as I do when he put it out after the Eagles game. I mean, you don't do that type of article then without ulterior motives. That's the way I look at it. If you're writing a long piece about the state of the Buffalo Bills and a team, if say they, like I said, say they don't make the playoffs and you want to put something like that out, then that is something that maybe brings a lot of insight into, you know, what is going on. But the timing of it was, was trash. And then I thought it was really interesting that it was almost like he was putting his chest out or drawing a line in the sand when he went after, I say went after, but when he brought up Tasker and Chris Brown and and even made a point to say the same Chris Brown that was suspended by Sean McDermott for making comments about what he saw in training. I mean the Bills, yeah. And the then, bills. oh, I mean the Bills, yeah. 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 And, then mean, he, and then made a comment about um, him donating his paycheck because, you know, because he, you know, right. made a comment about it being, a, a, you know, behind a paywall. Right. So, again, very snarky comments throughout the this new article as well, which just makes the whole thing sound like, it makes it sound like the first one is more of a hit piece than it was to begin with. I wish, you know, um, and again, I, I just, I wish he wouldn't have um, put out today's. It kind of, it seems a little, I, I don't want to say desperate, but that's the word that's coming to, to mind. But go ahead. What Renaissance Man had to say is exactly on point. He was salty because his plan didn't work. He dropped the article because he felt that the Bills were not going to win in Kansas City. And he rolled the dice, hoping if they do lose, then all of a sudden he's the man because he brought this all to light. Right. And I think that is a hundred percent correct. And when they lost, it made him look like he, you know, it made it look like sour grapes, which it, yeah. which it honestly is. Right. Um, and the, and his comments in the the new article was like, oh, and if it wasn't for a one yard, you know, offsides, we would be having a totally different conversation. Right. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, maybe he got what he wanted because people were, you know, we're obviously talking about it now, but I don't think the article holds the weight that it would have, if he waited, especially if the bills are not able to make the playoffs. So, right. and I agree. And I think I said that to you um, when we talked about it the first time I said, you know, realistically, if, if he wanted to have an effect on whether or not Sean McDermott should still be the coach of the Buffalo bills at the end of the year, right. releasing it, at the end of the year when he doesn't make the playoff right. or he gets knocked out in the first week of the, you know, play, whatever it is. Right. He did not want to run the risk that Sean McDermott takes this team through the playoffs to the Super Bowl, And then he becomes, you know, everyone's hero rather than the, you know, his uh, latest kill. And, and what I had said last week, and he mentioned this in the article as well is he did a piece on um, in, in Green Bay on Aaron Rodgers, who that was completely tearing apart Aaron Rodgers. So now he has this very right. strained relationship with the Green Bay Packers and with Aaron Rodgers as well. And um, it feels like that's where he gets the you know he, where he tries to get his his uh, his subscribers is by doing these little well, pieces. He has the feeling he pats himself on the back because he likes to see himself as the journalist that will do things that nobody else will do. Right. And that's what he, he 
prides himself right. upon. And uh, and Matt put here uh, the comments and threats against his family. That isn't okay. If people are threatening threatening his family, if people that like that is just immature. Um, you know, like I don't see why anyone would would per like no one knows. 90% of the people, you know, the players or coaches or anybody on the bills, let alone Sean McDermott himself, they have nothing. I mean, and most of the bills mafia was ready to turn against this team to begin with and right. ready to turn against Sean McDermott to begin right. with. So don't go and threaten the guy's <laughs> family or him, you know, like right. when you were really, when you were willing to, you know, fire McDermott, uh, you know, for the last couple of weeks to begin with. So well, one thing I will, yeah. one thing I will say that I said on X after the game, that did not look like a team that does not like its head coach and didn't want to play for him. They showed a ton of guts, not only on the field, but the sideline as well. Tons of character by the bills on Sunday afternoon to win that game penalty or not. I don't, I mean, I don't care. And the for everybody flag, that said, okay. Before we every, go on to the next part, Okay. I, go ahead. I was just going to say what, regarding the yeah. penalty. Go, go ahead. No, I was going to say go finish. I'm no, I was just, just, just going to say that for anybody also to say that the game was over after they scored, we still had a minute and something left on the clock. Right. What's to say we don't go down and score ourselves because it has been done before. Right. But Yeah. And, and so right before we, uh, we move on, I wanted to say the flag was thrown before Mahomes yes. ever had the ball leave his hand. So no one could say that the penalty – you know, removed that play, the penalty was called. Now, do I believe that they need to start thinking about some of these um, offensive penalties and treat them like a false start, like a motion penalty? If he was offsides, the second the ball was snapped, blow the blow the uh, play dead. I don't understand, you know, there's nothing good that can happen on the offense. The only thing that could happen is good on the, the defense. Um, the play should have just never happened. It should have never been allowed to form, you know. Um, so I believe that if you know, if if you have a you know procedural, well, no, not on pre-snap. Yeah, that's pre-snap. Go ahead. Yeah, I feel like if if you if it's a pre, it's it's literally the second the ball snapped. If you're offside, he was offside. So the second the ball snapped, you're calling it. Blow the play dead, in my opinion. But like you're risking someone getting injured. Well, for a play that's not going to count, what's you know what's the point? So I just well, feel like maybe they need to look at, at because that. Because if you have defensive holding or you have something like that, you have offsetting penalties. If you have a turnover, the Bills get the ball. So there are things, right. there are reasons why you have to play the play out and you don't just blow it dead. Well, um, I, I understand the reason why. I'm just saying maybe they should start considering other things like a false start is the, the call the play is called that de uh, dead yeah but so. they're moving before the snap i have an idea here's how i think you should solve it line up on sides well that would yeah, be good I mean, but i did text um like as the play you know as after, right after the play was happening everyone was freaking out around me and i'm like Fuck offsides. Excuse my language. Sorry. I'm like offsides. And then I was like, wait, he just, you couldn't hear. I was like, he pointed to Kansas city. I was like, that was offensive, you know, offsides. I was like, holy crap. They never call that. And I was like, except I remember the bills got it called against them last year twice. I think it was. Right. So I was just like, um, oh my God, that play didn't happen. But in that moment of, Oh, there's still over a minute left. Josh is going to be the one that finally has the ball back in his hands to end this game. Can he actually, you know, pull out this win? So I did have that moment saying, oh, 
you know, Josh is going to have a chance to um, to go down the field and be the, you know, be the victor, you know, the victor um, and, as the time's expiring, not the other way around. So uh, it, it is, you know, one Just of those things you... we never will never see happen because of that offsides. And I I'll take the victory any way I can get it at this point in time. Just to give you a little a little background that. Offensive offsides has been called eleven times this year. Eleven season. times this year. Yep. Eight eight times it's been called in a tush push situation where offensive linemen or somebody have had their helmet or their hand out in front of the ball. So of those eleven times, only three times has it been called on a on a wide out or somebody of of that nature. So, but again, like like tag uh, ta- I wouldn't say tag libu, like um, Goodell said today. I mean, it just shows you how hard an official's job is that the guy lines up blatantly offsides, they get the call right and they still get grief for it. So, but you know, the one thing that I will, I will, I will play devil's advocate. Uh, Dan, um, uh, Orvlosky's uh, posted how many times he lined it up. He lined up offsides throughout the game. And I think it was like six or seven times. Right. But it's the same. same This is my point. This is my point. They didn't call it to the end. So it makes it, you know, it makes it like, well, if you're going to call it, always call it. Um, And I blame Tony just as much. He should have looked and asked. But from my understanding, from what everybody says, he never asked about the whole entire game. So it's like, well, he was blatantly offsides several different times throughout the game. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that they called it. Um, I'm very thankful that they called it. This is the Um, point. This is the point I'm going to make. And Matt's correct. Who we don't know that he wasn't warned those five other times when you, when when I, according to the coach, he said that he was never warned throughout the game. Because when I played, if you had some instances of you were on the edge, a lot of times the umpire, whoever would come over to you and say, Hey, tone it down. Hey, get your hands inside. Next time I'm going to call that you got some warnings before you got a right. flag. So there right. are instances so he might where have, the officials will do that. Right. So he might've never said anything to the coach, but might maybe said something directly to Tony and Tony's obviously not going to fess up. to the fact that Well, he was they told. also, they also could have called the offensive lineman 50 times for lining up in the backfield, yeah. which is another call that is not being made. On and a regular enough basis. I don't remember what game it was um, that he that um, Kansas City did it like thirty times, and then finally the the last drive they finally was, flagged him. It was the opening game against Detroit on Thursday was night. It? Okay, yeah, that's. But we'll move right. to Orchard Park this weekend. Four twenty five start. Buffalo Bills versus the Dallas Cowboys. The Bills, if you can believe it, two and a half point favorites. In this yeah. game, and um, Cowboys come in ten and three, first place in the AFC East. Bills are seven and six, second in the AFC East. And um, great matchup, great quarterbacks. The favorite right now to win the MVP in the league, Dak Prescott, coming in. Numbers very similar to Josh. Only difference is he has eight less interceptions. A quarterback that has been intercepted quite a bit in previous seasons. Um, Tony Pollard, the leading rusher, 796 yards. Uh, James Cook comes in with uh, 789 on about 33 less carries, both averaging over four yards a carry. Uh, Premier receiver for the Cowboys, C.D. Lamb. Um, He's got 1,253 yards. He's averaging 13 yards 
a catch. He has eight touchdowns. Diggs, obviously our guy, um, he's got 993 yards, over 11 yards a catch, eight touchdowns. So uh, injury-wise, I um, think it's pretty much the same as it's been. It'll be interesting to see if Micah Hyde is ready to go. Um, you know, he has had the issues with the stingers, the neck, obviously. Um, so we'll see what's up with that. Micah Parsons dealing with an illness for the Cowboys. Um, they seem to be relatively healthy um, on the Cowboys uh, roster. So we'll see uh, who shows yeah. up on Sunday. I think, I think they had three did not participate. Right. Should be a should be a great game. Um, I'm looking forward to a good game. I think it comes down to once again, and the Cowboys have done a very good job of this as of late. Early in the year, that football team was criticized um, as far as maybe saying the offensive line was a bit overrated. Um, Tony Pollard wasn't quite getting the yardage that people expected him to get. As of late, he has been running the ball very well. Now, they did play one of the worst rush defenses in the league last week in Philadelphia, and, of course, the Cowboys do play really well at home, so Pollard had success there. But um, it's going to come down to the Bills. Can they establish that run again? Can they get Cook in the offense involved like they did the last couple of weeks? Um, That offensive line is going to have a big challenge to it. Um, Tons of good pass rushers um, from the Cowboys, good defensive front seven, led, of course, by Micah Parsons who is, um, I mean, by most probably the premier defensive player in the league right now, maybe after T.J. Watt, um, a guy that has big playability, can get after the passer from various positions on the field. So it'll be a big day for the Bills' offensive line. It'll be a big day for the Bills' mafia because they're going to have to be loud and get after it and bring the energy. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, maybe some areas, Sarah, that you're looking at for this weekend's game. Yeah, I'm, um, I know it's. It's. I'm kind of taking the – um, the easy way out. I, f- I feel like it's going to be a lot like the, the Dolphins game started um, back in, uh, I guess, September. No, maybe it was October 1st, whatever that, that game was, um, where we were trading scores um, back and forth for a while. And um, it was kind of like whoever finally um, had that first defensive stop um, and then the, you know, the first offense to, to score after that defensive stop um, was going to kind of take control of the game. I feel like that's going to be a little bit of uh, of what we're going to see on Sunday. Um, I don't know, obviously, whether or not Epines is going to play, whether or not Hyde's going to play. It's probably probably a no go for Hyde. Um, so you know, we'll see what we're going to get on on defense. Um, so at this point in time, I'm trying not to be concerned about what we're going to see on defense because I think even with a very healthy defense, uh, we've seen what what Dallas can do on offense. So. I'm my only concern is is matching them point for point and then uh eventually be able to get that one additional stop um so that we can uh we can outscore them. Um you know, I think that everyone was kind of looking for the weather to be bad. It's not. It's going to be like 45 degrees. Um it's going to be, you know, pretty beautiful for upstate New York in December. Um you know, I think that you know, if you look at it that way, uh it's it's kind of going to be an even it'll, it'll be a little bit colder when the sun goes down but i still don't think that that's the the advantage that, um that you know we're going to get there i think that a lot of it's going to be how loud the the team can get or the fans can get and you know uh bring that that crazy bills mafia that we saw for the the dolphins game we were so loud for that dolphins game i 
have never been at Highmark where I felt that that impact. Um, like I literally felt it. Um, I we, we're going to need to feel that again on on Sunday. Comparing the two teams offensively, I mean, this is a this is a very even matchup offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cowboys fourth in total yards, Bills fifth. Passing yards, Cowboys second, Bills fifth. Rushing yards, Cowboys 11th, Bills are 10th. Uh, points scored, Cowboys first with 32 points a game. The Bills are fifth. And you've got the first and second ranked team at third down percentage, Cowboys first, and the Bills are second. Defensively, Cowboys um, – really, really doing a good job this year. Total yards, they're second, Bills 14th. Passing yards, Cowboys are fifth, Bills are 11th. Rushing yards, 13th for the Cowboys, 19th for the Bills. Points, fourth for the Cowboys, sixth for the Bills. And then in third down percentage, Cowboys are 12th and the Bills are 17th. So pretty even matchup. The one thing I think the Bills have going for them, they are at they are in Orchard Park. They're at Highmark Field. Uh, the Cowboys have a road record of three and three. three, and three. Yep. Only one more win than the Bills on right. the road. So, and I do um, want to say, um, I do want to say before we get going, uh, two things: if we can actually control the clock and run the ball, I think that'll be a big deal for us. Um, you know, long term, uh, you know, long term for for that game. But I think the biggest thing is obviously not turning the ball over and special teams because they are a dome team. Um, and from my understanding, it will, it, it is supposed to be windy on Sunday. So we'll, we'll see if that happens, but it could come down to, you know, I'm going to knock on wood again, um, a missed kick and hopefully it's, it's not bad. So. I will, I will correct you. They are a sometimes dome team. They can't open that roof. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, do they ever, <laughs> I don't know. Usually I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> so um, you know, it's uh it'll I'm I'm really excited for this for this game, but uh, you know, obviously we need a win. Um I, I know that this is the one game that we could lose if we were going to lose a game um to finish out the season because it's the NFC. Um it, it won't affect our AFC conference record. Um but there are so many people tied right now that own, um, you know, conference uh, records over us that if, you know, if they don't lose, then, you know, th- another game, um, they're going to they're going to beat out the the bills for that playoff. So I keep on saying at this point in time, we need to win out. Uh, I do know that there is a little, um, you know, a little leeway with this game, but uh, I feel like we need it for um for the end of the season, I feel like if we win this this game, that you know, we could win out. Um, the the two games that actually scare me most are the the easier games. You know, the the game against the Patriots that we should we should win. The game against the Chargers without their starting quarterback. Um, those actually scare me a little bit more, just because you know sometimes we play down to our opponents. Um, but I'm looking forward to the end of the season. I'm glad we have something to cheer about. Eight games in a row. That's what we need. Yep. We're at eight. I like it. So, but if you ask Sean McDermott and that staff, I'm sure they're saying they need to be one and zero after this weekend. So, folks, we appreciate you. We're out of time again. Wednesday nights, nine Eastern, eight Central. It is line to gain. I'm the Big O, Jerry Ostrowski. Cheers, Sarah Larson. We'll be back next week to talk about hopefully a Bills victory over the NFC East first place team, Dallas Cowboys. 
as always, hop in those comments. Um, and don't forget to get your everybody. Picasso's pizza. And I'm going to play Picasso's right now as we leave. Okay. <laughs> I forgot to do Picasso's. We'll play Picasso's as we leave. Yeah. Buffalo's pizza. Again, hit the like and subscribe button, folks. Thanks as always. We'll be back next week. As always, one love and go Bills. Go Bills. Hey, football fans. The season is here. So you know that means family, football, and food. But for the NFL's best fan base, it can't be just any food. Bill's Mafia only eats the best during the season. And the best is Picasso's Pizza. With four great locations in Western New York, it's so easy to treat yourself to the most flavorful pizza on game day. Picasso's. We are Buffalo Pizza. Shipping local and nationwide. Order online at picassospizza.net.